ما تستعجلون به إن الحكم إلا لله إن الحكم إلا لله إن الحكم إلا لله يقضي الحق وهو خير الفاصلين قل لو أن عندي ما تستعجلون به لقضي الأمر لقضي الأمر بيني وبينكم والله أعلم بالظالمين وعنده مفاتح الغيب لا يعلمها إلا هو وعنده مفاتح الغيب لا يعلمها إلا هو ويعلم ما في البر والبحر وما تسقط من ورقة إلا يعلمها ولا حبة في ظلمات الأرض ولا رطب ولا يابس ولا رطب ولا يابس إلا في كتاب وهو الذي يتوفاكم بالليل ويعلم ما جرحتم بالنهار ثم يبعثكم فيه ليقضى أجل مسمى ثم إليه مرجعكم ثم ينبئكم بما كنتم تعملون وهو القاهر فوق عباده وهو القاهر فوق عباده وهو القاهر فوق عباده ويبصر عليكم حفظه حتى إذا جاء أحدكم الموت توفته رسلنا توفته رسلنا وهم لا يفرطون ثم ردوا إلى الله مولاهم الحق ثم ردوا إلى الله مولاهم الحق ألا له الحكم ألا له الحكم ألا له الحكم وهو أسرع الحاسبين قل من ينجيكم من ظلمات البر والبحر تدعونه تضرعا وخفيا لئن أنجيتنا من هذه لنكونن من الشاكرين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين Thank you guys for joining me this afternoon Alhamdulillah, hope everybody is uh, making preparations for Ramadan, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, as the daylight savings has um, changed us around a little bit. So that means that um, Maghrib will be coming in now, currently at 7, but by the time Ramadan comes around, Maghrib will be roughly around 7.30. All right, so the lecture will start around 6, 6.15. And then uh, the lecture will go up until iftar. All right. <clears throat> so this is kind of like a pre-Ramadan, you know, prep for for many of us. Uh, it might be a reminder for some. Nonetheless, inshallah ta'ala, I wanted to finish what we started um, on Friday, I believe it was. And that is talking about steadfastness, conditions or things, tips that will help you to become more steadfast in your religion. 
So here again, if you are a new convert to Islam, if you are someone who is trying to find your way back to Islam, if you are a Muslim every day, nine to five Muslim who is just kind of struggling a little bit, inshallah ta'ala, these are some tips that can help. All right, this will be a reminder for all of us, bi'ithnillahi ta'ala. <clears throat> so I'm going to reiterate the points that I covered in the first lecture. And then I'll finish those points off, to, inshallah, today. So we're talking about uh, istiqama, steadfastness, right? Steadfastness. And uh, uh, in leading up to uh, the beginning of this conversation, we talked about what steadfastness was. And now, inshallah ta'ala, we're going to complete that. Uh, can you upload those on Spotify or any other podcast form? Inshallah. Uh, inshallah. Okay, so the first point that we said to um, to develop steadfastness, number one was ikhlas, was sincerity. And we mentioned the ayah where shaitan, he told Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he will lie and wait on a straight path to misguide all of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's servants. He said, illa ibadika minhumul mukhlasin, except those of your servants who are sincere. Shaitan knows that he has no wins with those who are sincere with those who lead with sincerity because they're not they're not practicing islam they're not on the path of islam for any other reason other than allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they're not involved in this because uh, you know you have some women who convert to islam for a man not totally for a man but a man plays a large part of that and then when the man you know they have some problems or whatever some challenges and they decide to separate then the woman decides to leave Islam. And that is because that <clears throat> the, the much of her reasoning for becoming a Muslim or be, you know treading this path had to do with the presence of a man or a particular man in her life. And vice versa, some men, you know, they're they're all fine as long as you know they can you know work at this job and they you know making money with muslims and you know they're living their life and everything seems to be going great but then when they run into some problems then it's like running back to where you came from and that shows a lack of sincerity because if you are sincere then there's nothing that can chase you away from islam if you are sincere it doesn't matter you know what's going on in the muslim community what's going on you know amongst the muslims it doesn't matter you didn't accept islam for that that comes with the territory. Muslims are not perfect. Islam is perfect. Muslims are not perfect. But Islam is perfect. So when you run into problems with Muslims, then yeah, you are a little bit disgruntled. You are a little bit disheartened because of that. But at the same token, you don't leave Islam because you didn't become Muslim for the Muslims. You can't became Muslim because of your relationship with God. <clears throat> Number two, ilm, knowledge. We're talking about tips that will help you to be steadfast in your religion. Number one was ikhlas, was sincerity. <clears throat> Number two is ilm, knowledge. <clears throat> Excuse me. As the scholars, they say, um, that one knowledgeable scholar is more severe, is more of an obstacle for shaitan, than a thousand worshipers. Because you can't really do something, you can't really do much with someone who knows their Lord. Right? The hadith of the man who sinned, and then he knows that he has a Lord that forgives, and he knows that he has a Lord that, you know, that 
punishes for sins. And then he turns around and he commits the sin again. And he commits the sin, but then he makes Toba because he knows that he has a Lord that forgives sins and a Lord that pardons, you know, for sins. And then he turns around and he commits the sin again. And he commits the sin again, but he makes Toba. He knows that he has a Lord that forgives sins and a Lord that, you know, punishes for sins. And then he turns around and he commits the sin again. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to this servant, if al-mashit, if al-mashit, do as you please, I have forgiven you. That's not a pass to commit sin. That's not a green light to commit sin. But what that means is that as long as you think well of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as long as you have good thoughts about God, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will compensate you for those good thoughts. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will compensate you for those good thoughts. As the Prophet sallallahu mentioned in the hadith, uh, I am as my servant thinks I am. I can do for my servant what he believes. So if you sin, but you know that you have a Lord that forgives, and you know that you have a Lord that will punish you for your sins, and then you turn around and you do it again, but you, you also make toba, you also ask for forgiveness, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will continue to forgive you. Here again, that's not a pass to commit sin because the person is not intentionally committing sin. Perhaps it's an addiction. Perhaps it's something that they struggle with. The hadith doesn't mention anything about that. <clears throat> However, if you are deluded enough to think that this is, you know, that this is a pass for you to commit sin, that's not what this is. This is someone who has thiqa billah. This is someone who knows, has full certainty that they have a Lord that forgives. You see, people try to make you afraid of God. Oh, you shouldn't do that because like there's nothing that you can tell me about God that's going to instill some type of reluctance in me. <clears throat> it's going to make me second question my behavior, second question my actions. I know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Don't tell me, oh, I'll see you in the hereafter. I'll meet you on the sirat and all of these fancy phrases that Muslims tend to throw at one another when we're disgruntled or when we're upset. You know, like you, you, you'll see me on the sirat. That's the, I'm the last person you want to see on the sirat. I promise you. I am the last person or anybody else is the last person. You don't want to see anybody on the sirat meaning the bridge going over the hellfire. You don't want to see anybody on that bridge. As a matter of fact, you want to go across that bridge uh, the time that it takes for you to blink your eye and be done with it. I don't want to see nobody Yom Al-Qiyamah, period. Let me just make that be known. I don't want to see any of you Yom Al-Qiyamah unless I'm meeting you somewhere in paradise. <laughs> because Yom Al-Qiyamah is going to be messy. Let me tell you that. Yom Al-Qiyamah, the day of judgment is messy. It's going to be messy, man. It's going to be messy. And while you over there, you know, deliberating and deciding how you're going to manage your affair and what haka, what right you're going to get back from this part, I don't want nothing. Keep it all. If if you you think that you that you owe me a hak, you owe me a right, wallahi, you don't owe me anything. I've forgiven you. I don't want to see you unless we're meeting up in paradise. So I don't want anybody leaving this life having to worry about some wrong that you did to me. Nah, don't worry about it. You've forgiven. Imam Ahmed, he forgave everybody that was involved with his fitna, with his imprisonment, with him being lashed, with him being tortured in prison for not saying that the Quran was created. He said, I've forgiven everybody except Ibn Abi Du'ad. I'm gonna, he's going to have to answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because he's a muqtadiyah, because he's an innovator. And the whole reason that I'm in this situation is because of people like him. So him, I don't forgive. But anybody else, 
that had a hand, that was involved, people that, you know, even scholars, he had boycotted scholars. He never spoke to them for the rest of his life, but he forgave them. You understand? There were scholars who were asked, what's your position on the Quran? Is the Quran created or not? And rather than them sticking to their guns, rather than sticking to the position of Ahlul Sunnah and that the Quran is not created, it is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, min hu wa ilayhi ya'ud, from Allah it came and to Allah it will return. Instead of them standing firm on the aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah, right? <clears throat> Instead of standing firm on the aqidah of Ahlul Sunnah, they folded. They folded. They said, no, the Quran is created just so that they could escape prison, just so that they could escape torture. And Imam Ahmed said, Wallahi, I will never speak to them. I will never speak to them for the rest of my life. You fell from my eyes. I have no respect for you again. I have no respect for you. However, he still forgave them. I've forgiven you. I hold nothing for you. I just don't want to talk to you. Right? You fell from my eyes. I used to see you here. Now I see you here, right? <clears throat> so the, the meeting somebody on a sirat, seeing somebody in the hereafter, that's the last thing you want, man. Stop using that. Stop saying that to people. Stop trying to instill fear, fear into people using God. That's not the way that God should be used. That, that's not the way that you want to encourage people to repent. Encourage people to do the right thing. Hey, you should make toba. Hey, you should repent. Not, you know, God is going to get you. God is going to do this to you. And I'm going to see you in the hereafter. And Allah is going to punish. Man, you miss me with all of that. that. That doesn't make me afraid. That does not make me second question the way that I handled you or the way that I did you or the way that I handled my affairs. I had already reconciled within myself before I actually did it. I've already reconciled that. So there's nothing that you can say to me to make me say, oh, well, wow, I'm going to I don't want to see this person in the hereafter. Let me go back and, you know, rethink what I did. No, I'm sorry. When you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, people cannot use God against you. So one of the things that gives you steadfastness in your religion is number one, ikhlas, sincerity. Number two, ilm, knowledge. Number three, ittiba' al-Qur'an wa sunnah, following the Qur'an and the sunnah. There is no way, there is no way to get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's no way to stay firm on this path except following the Qur'an and the sunnah. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa said, تَرَقْتُ فِيكُمْ شَيْئَيْنِ تَسَكْتُمْ بِهِمَا I have left you two things. I've left you two things that if you hold tight to those two things, I can guarantee you, you will never go astray after I'm gone. You will never go astray after I'm gone. The book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and my sunnah. You want to stay steadfast on this path? You want to stay steadfast and tread this path? You got to hold tight to the Quran and the sunnah. Number four, ihsan, spiritual excellence. As we said in the last class, some people settle for mediocrity. Some people settle for spiritual mediocrity. And some people aim high. Aim high. Spiritual excellence. <clears throat> Number five is to always be aware of your destination. To always keep the hereafter. Always keep the akhirah at the forefront of your mind. This life is temporary. You're only here for however long it has been determined for you to be here. Once that time is up, there is no coming back. 
There is no prolonging it. It's over. Your human experience is over. Your soul goes back to its essence, goes back to the other dimension, and you wait there for judgment. That's it. Stop getting so attached to this world. Stop becoming so attached to this world. Your destination is the akhirah. Regardless of what, you know, misfortunes, regardless of what calamities, regardless of the trials and tribulations, this world is nothing but trial and tribulation. The Prophet ﷺ said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put us here. The Prophet ﷺ said, in the dunya, hullun, hullun khadira, that this world is green and sweet. And Allah put you here to see how you would act. Allah put you here to test you, to see how you will act. Fear the dunya and fear women. And this address was obviously for the men. And unfortunately, even in today's time, might be for some of the women as well. Fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fear the dunya and fear women. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put you here to see how you will act. Always keep the hereafter, your destination right in front of you. When things get tough, when things get difficult, when things get challenging, always remember my destination is Jannah. My destination is paradise. This is not my final destination. This is not my final destination. All right. Number six is commitment. You got to be committed to Islam. You got to be committed to the religion. No matter what happens to you, no matter what's going on in your life, your commitment has to be to Islam. One of the Sahaba, he came to Mecca, he came to Medina following the Prophet وسلم, And the Prophet was distributing some of the spoils of war to some of his companions as he, as he usually did. So he gave this particular companion some of the spoils of war. And he was offended because he's like, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here for compensation. So he goes to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Ma hada ya Rasulullah? What is this? The Prophet ﷺ said, Hada qasmun This is some of the spoils of war that I distributed to my companions and I gave you some. And he told the Prophet ﷺ, Ma ala hada atba'tuk? I didn't follow you for this. I didn't follow you to be compensated. He said, He said that I only followed you so that I could be shot right here with an arrow in my neck, die and go to Jannah. That's all I want. That's all I want. I didn't follow you for compensation. I didn't follow you to, for recognition. I didn't follow you to, you know, I didn't follow you for that. I ain't in this for that. I'm not in this for that. I only followed you so that I could be shot right here in my neck with an arrow, die and go to Jannah. That's it. And the Prophet وسلم, looked at the man and he said, In If you are true, if you are honest with Allah and what you want, Allah will give it to you. You understand? You got to be dedicated. You got to be committed to this. I'm committed to Islam. I'm not committed to anything else. I'm committed to Islam. I'm committed to Jannah, getting to paradise. I don't care about all that other stuff, the recognition, social media. I don't care about all of that stuff. I want to die and go to Jannah. That's it. And the Prophet said, If you are truthful, truthful, and what you are asking Allah for, he'll give it to you. And that's a principle in our religion. 
That's a principle. We extract from that one little statement a very important principle that if you are truthful with Allah, then Allah will give you what you want. But you got to want it. You got to be committed. You got to be committed. You want to be a Muslim? You got to be committed. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you what you committed to. You understand? Some of us are not committed. We committed up to a certain point. That's the problem. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, There's some people who worship Allah on the edge. They got one foot over here, one foot over here, on the edge. We say you got one foot in the dunya, one foot in the deen. There's actually an ayat that confirms that. There's those who worship Allah as if they are on a ledge. In asabatu, khayrun nutma in nabi. If some good comes to him, he's content. He's good. I'm Muslim. I'm going to stay Muslim because nothing but good is happening to me. Alhamdulillah for Islam. But when some calamity, some misfortune, some trial, some challenges come his way, he runs. He turns on his heels. He turns on his heels. As long as good is coming you, you're fine. As long as you remain married to that man, you're good. You're the best practicing Muslim. Hijab, you're hijabi, you're everything. Overgarment, abaya, you're straight as long as you're married to him. The moment y'all start having some challenges, he decides he doesn't want to be married anymore. He leaves. Oh, all, all, all bets are off. Hijab comes off. Abaya comes off. I'm done with this religion. MashaAllah, tabarakallah. So what were you in it for? You wasn't committed to Islam. You were committed to the man that you were in Islam for. You weren't committed to Islam. Your commitment was to a man, a human being, who's going to disappoint you at some point. Perfection is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, something we remind ourselves of every single day when we say subhanallah. Subhanallah means glory be to Allah, all perfection. He is above any perfection. He is above any imperfection. He is above any inadequacy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is perfect. That's what subhanallah means. Allah is perfect. And yet, while we remind ourselves of that every single day, we put so much trust into human beings. And then every time we get burnt, every time we get let down, every time we get disappointed, off we go, abandoned. Like, what did God have to do with that? What did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do to you? This human being wronged you. This human being wronged you. Who's wronging his own soul or her own soul, right? The self of reproaching soul. You wrong your own soul. And you think that this same human being is not going to wrong you at some point? We put too much trust into human beings. And then we turn around and we blame God for it. It's God's fault. It's Islam's fault. That's why I'm not Muslim anymore. That's why I don't want to be Muslim anymore. That's why I don't mess with the Muslim community anymore. That's why I don't be around Muslims anymore. They're human beings. They're human beings. What did God do to you? What did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala do to you? That you abandon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You abandon God. You abandon his path. 
The only path that leads to paradise. There is no other path. You can tell yourself whatever you want to tell yourself. You can read these social media memes and that, that stuff will have you believing that it doesn't matter what you are. God is going to forgive and pardon everybody and it's going to be all peaches and cream. Yom al-Qiyamah. Yom al-Qiyamah is going to be messy. And the only people that's going to escape that mess is the people who manage to stay on this path. I promise you that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَمَنْ يَبْتَغِي غَيْرَ الْإِسْلَامِ دِينًا فَلَيْ يُقْبَلَ مِنْ وَهُوَ فِي الْآخِرَةِ مِنَ الْخَاسِرِينَ That whoever desires a religion other than the religion of Islam, and for those of you who are not Muslim who are listening right now, you, you listening right now, it's important for you to understand. This is no slight to you, but what it is, is the truth. Whoever desires a religion other than the religion of Islam, you will never, Allah will never accept it from you. It will never be accepted. Whoever desires a religion other than the religion of Islam, never will it be accepted of you. And in the hereafter, you will be amongst the Khasirin, amongst the greatest losers, the biggest losers. There is no religion acceptable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala other than Islam. And it's not that there's so, when you say, why is there so much drama in the Muslim community? That's like saying, why is there so much black on black crime? You understand? When you say, why is there so much drama in the Muslim community? That is akin to someone saying, there's more black on black crime than there is police on black people crime. Like black people kill more black people than police officers do, right? You know how weird that sounds when you say black on black crime? If black people live in an environment, in a particular environment, whether city, state, whatever, and in that particular city, there's nothing but this predominantly African-Americans. All of the murder that goes on and everything, the crime that goes on in that environment is going to be black on black. So that means that if you were to go to a predominantly white neighborhood and there were white break-ins, white murder, that is white on white crime. But the media will never say white on white crime. They'll say black on black crime to have you believing to sympathize with the police officers who are constantly murdering black people. You understand? And then you have you scratching your head saying, well, yeah, black people do kill more black people than the police do. You know how silly that sounds? If black people live in a particular neighborhood, the murder, the crime, and everything that goes on in that neighborhood is being perpetuated against the people in that neighborhood. Be they black, white, Hispanic. Nobody ever says Hispanic on Hispanic crime. But you go to predominant areas that are predominantly populated by Hispanics, you'll find Hispanic on Hispanic crime. You understand what I'm saying? So when you say, why is there so much drama in the Muslim community? Because this is a Muslim community. Where else are Muslims going to commit drama? <laughs> Where else Muslims going to commit drama except in the Muslim community? You, you, you follow what I'm saying? You know, it's, it's, we're human. We're human. It's going to be drama. The problem with it, the problem is not the drama. Drama existed even during the time of the Prophet His wife, his whole family went through a whole scandal, was captured in the Quran. A whole scandal captured in the Quran. Which the fact of the matter is that uh, the scandal was, our, the Quran was already written before the Quran was revealed to Prophet Muhammad 
The Quran was already written before it was given to Prophet Muhammad. So Allah knew that the scandal regarding the Prophet and his wife, that it was already written in the Quran before it was given to him. You understand? So that means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had already decreed that that was going to happen even before the Prophet became the Prophet. That's just human beings being human beings. Our problem is not the, the drama. Our problem is we don't have conflict resolution. That's the problem. Black people don't respect conflict resolution. Black people don't respect conflict resolution. Our conflicts got to be messy, spill out into the streets and everybody's mama and neighbors and everybody got to get involved. And it's just nasty and messy because that's our culture. Our, that's our culture. Whether you're from the East Coast or the West Coast, that's our culture, unfortunately. So when we get into drama, it, it just gets messy. We, we don't have conflict resolution tools. We don't have standard operating procedures put in place. So when things happen, we have a standardized way of dealing with it. And all of that is in the Quran, unfortunately. It's all in the Quran, but we don't read the Quran, nor do we implement it. So we wouldn't even know where to go, where to start. Even if we implemented it and put it in place, we still have people who are going to buck the system anyway. They're not following nothing. Ain't nobody going to make them do nothing. They ain't going to obey nothing. And it's, that's just where we are. It's, that's part of black culture that has trickled with us, trickled over into Islam along with us. You know what I'm saying? So commitment. You, you have to be committed to Islam. From amongst mankind are those who worship Allah as if they're on a ledge. That as long as good is coming to them, they're content, they're good. But when some fitna, some trials, some tribulations, some, you know, some challenges come their way, they run. They run. All right, number seven. Number seven from the tools and tips that will help to keep you steadfast on Islam is mujahada. Mujahada to nafs. Mujahada to nafs. I love you too, brother. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala love you for whom sake you love me. Right? May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala love you for whom sake you love me. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you. All right? Much appreciated. Number seven from the tips that will keep you steadfast on your religion is mujahadatun nafs. You got to wage war against your soul. Sufyan al-Thawri, he said, Sufyan Athodi, the great scholar, great imam, great scholar of hadith, he said that I had never remedied something that was more difficult to, for me than my own desires. He said, sometimes it gets the best of me and sometimes I get the best of it. But you have to constantly keep waging war against yourself, fighting against your own desires, fighting against your nefs. The moment you give up and you say, all right, I'm tired of fighting and you give in to your desires, you give in to your nefs. You are done. You are done. There's two types of regret that the human being will experience in their lives. That is the regret of self-discipline and the regret for not exercising self-discipline. You understand? Those are two regrets that we will experience in our lives. You will either experience the regret, well, not necessarily regret, but two types of pain that a human being will experience. That is the pain of self-discipline, because that takes, it takes, it's painful. It's painful. Those of us 
who, you know, those from the, in the Muslim community who used to drink before Islam, who used to use drugs before Islam, you can't deny that you enjoyed that. You enjoyed some of it. And the only reason why you don't do it now is because it's haram, it's harmful. You understand? But people are not just abstaining from these things because they enjoy, it's a struggle. For some people, it's a struggle every single day to be Muslim and to maintain their sobriety, especially those who struggle with the, the disease of addiction. You understand? It's delayed gratification, absolutely, Sister Sharice. It's delayed gratification, absolutely, and that's painful. It's painful to watch everybody else around you just enjoy and indulge and engage in things that you probably would be doing yourself if you were not Muslim. So it's painful to watch people enjoy that. But it's also painful if you don't exercise self-discipline and go ahead and engage and then have to deal with the consequences of that in this life as well as in the hereafter. You understand? But you got to make mujahada. You got to struggle against yourself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, in Surah number 58, ayah 11, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, As for he who fears the station of his Lord above him, and he restrains himself, he restrains himself from his lowly desires. Then Jannah will be your final destination. Jannah will be your final abode. Allah mentions in another ayah in Surah Al-Rahman, man, subhanAllah, just Surah Al-Rahman, man, subhanAllah. وَمَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ وَلِمَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ جَنَّتَانِ فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ Sweetness of the Quran. And he who fears the station of his Lord, the status of the, his Lord over him, for him is Jannatan, for him is two Jannas, two gardens in paradise. So, which of the favors of your Lord would you deny? That is for self discipline. Disciplining yourself. Number eight. Uh, we said number eight was muhasaba, holding yourself accountable. Self-accountability. If you are going to stay on this path, the sirat al-mustaqim, the straight path, you have to be able to hold yourself accountable. Nobody can hold you accountable like you. You can tell the world whatever you want to tell them. You can tell yourself whatever you want to tell yourself, but your soul your soul is crying for you to discipline it. And you can ignore that and continue on as you are and keep making excuses for why you do what you do and why you are who you are. Or you can begin to respond to the muhasaba, to the self-accountability that your soul is calling you to do. Hold yourself accountable. Stop waiting for somebody else to hold you accountable. Hold yourself accountable. As Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, Hasibu anfusakum qabla antu hasabu. Wazinu a'amalakum qabla antu zanu. Hold yourself accountable today before there comes a time where you will be held accountable tomorrow. You can either neglect yourself and continue doing you, but there will come a time where doing you will have consequences. 
There will come a time when there will, there will be consequences for that. Hold yourself accountable. Self-accountability. You don't have to wait for somebody else to call you out, wait for somebody else to point out your flaws and your mistakes. We sit around and we wait, hoping that nobody see it, hoping that nobody says anything. And then when somebody points out your wrong to you, then you, you know, the wall goes up and all your defense mechanisms come out and you're defending yourself. It's just like, hold yourself accountable. I shouldn't have to hold you accountable. I should not, somebody outside of yourself should not have to hold you accountable. You should be able to hold your own self accountable. You know the wrongs that you commit. You know the wrongs that you do. How do you know? Because you can feel when your soul is troubled. Your soul is troubled. That is your soul telling you, hold me accountable. But rather than you holding yourself accountable, you let your troubled soul get you into more trouble because you persist. You persist. Hold yourself accountable. There's not, you're not going to always have somebody around you to correct you. As a matter of fact, some people keep people around them that placate their feelings. If you have people around you that are never going to tell you when you're wrong, you have people around you who are afraid to tell you that you're wrong, you have people around you that tiptoe around you and placate your feelings and dance around you because they don't want to upset you because they value your friendship or they value their closeness to you. So rather than tell you the way that it is, they kind of let you continue on in your, in, in your behavior. You're not going to always have somebody around you to hold you accountable. You're not going to always have somebody around you to hold you accountable. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests you with being around people who placate your feelings, who dance to your tune because they, have, they, they walk on eggshells around you because they're scared to tell you about yourself. If you don't have somebody to hold yourself, you don't have that in you to hold yourself accountable. You are done. You don't, you are done. Because nobody around you is going to tell you that you're wrong, and you're not going to tell your own self that you're wrong. You're done. Number nine was tahsin, self-improvement, working towards improving yourself. Tahsin, working to improve yourself. And with Ramadan coming up, you should be getting a head start. Don't wait until Ramadan comes in and say, all right, I'm fasting now, so now I'm going to start working on myself. No, start now. Ibdat. Al-an. Mean al-an. Start now. Why wait until Ramadan come in and then say, well, I'm going to start working on myself? No, start now. Tahseen and nafs Begin perfecting yourself. Self-improvement. Improve yourself. Start to improve yourself starting now. One of the great scholars of Islam, uh, I believe it was uh, Fudayl ibn Iyab, he said, Kuntu uh, nas." I used to have a bad habit with backbiting people. I want you guys to listen to this because this is a remedy to help us, you know, begin working, working off some of the, the you know, off of, uh, working off some of the things that we have been carrying with us you know, negative behaviors, you know, that we think that we are addicted to, here's a good way for you to help give up some of your addictions. Whether you are addicted to porn, you're addicted to music, you're addicted to, you know, 
women, you're addicted to men, you're addicted to whatever. I'm, I'm going to give you a tip to help you get rid of your addiction from a very practical way of doing it. So he said, I used to have a bad problem backbiting people. I used to talk about people all the time. And there are people listening right now that are probably like that. Every third word come out of your mouth is what somebody did or what somebody said, talking and gossiping. And, you know, that's just part of our culture for today. That's part of our culture in today. So you have some people who have, you know, a very hard time, you know, correcting themselves. And they become addicted to certain behaviors. So he said, He said, I used to have a bad problem backbiting people. He said, and I wanted to stop. He said, He said, so I took an oath that every time I backbit someone that I would give away a dinar, a silver coin, or a gold coin. I would give away a gold coin of mine. I would give away some money. Every time I backbit someone, I would give away some of my money. He said, فَكُنْتُ مَرَّةٍ أَغْتَابِ النَّاسِ So I used to backbite people and then I would go and give sadaqa. I would backbite people, go give sadaqa. He said, فَبِحُبِّي He said, and because of my love for my money, I gave up backbite. How about that? He said, because of my love of money, I gave up backbiting. I stopped. I got tired of giving away my money. And there's nothing that can be a greater motivator for an individual than money. <laughs> nothing is a greater motivator for the human being than money. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, and you love wealth. <laughs> you love wealth. You love wealth. Ardently. You love your money. So if you want to give up a certain behavior, try it. If you like glancing at things on social media that's haram, say every time my eyes glance at something that's haram, I'm going to go give $5 to this masjid or I'm going to give it to that masjid. So what you're doing is you're holding yourself accountable. You're actually punishing yourself to make yourself better. Tahseen. Self-improvement. You are working. It's one thing to say, I want to start doing this and I want to start doing that. And it's another thing to say, every time I do this, I'm going to do that. Every time I do this, I'm going to do that. I started doing that with my coffee. Every time I buy a cup of coffee, I got I, I was ashamed at how much money I spend on coffee. So I said, you know what? Looking at the same narration, the same narration, I said, every time I buy a cup of coffee, I'm going to take the same amount or more, and I'm going to put it to the side and put it into my daughter's bank account every time. So I tally up how much I spent on the week, uh, at, uh, at a week, how much I spent up on coffee, and I take that out of my money and I go put it into my daughter's account. Absolutely, I follow the same method. I was, I was appalled, I was ashamed. <laughs> ashamed for how much money I spend on coffee. You know, so you got to offset that. If you can sit and watch a two hour movie, then you need to take at least an hour reading Quran. You understand?
you gotta hold your help. You gotta hold yourself accountable at some time, at some point. You think of you, you know, that coffee money, that stuff adds up. It adds up. Right. Uh, Imam Ahmed said that if Riba, uh, the, if, uh, thank you for that gadget, that reminder that Imam Ahmed said was asked, does backbiting break your fast? And Imam Ahmed said that if backbiting broke my fast, if backbiting breaks your fast, then all of none of us would be fasting because we all backbite. We all do it. We all do it. Right? Yeah, but even if you get a coffee machine, you still got to purchase the coffee. The coffee beans, like if you're going to grow coffee beans in the backyard, but you still got to go buy the coffee beans. So you're still spending money. All right. So tahsin, self-improvement. Number nine. Number 10 is making toba when you sin, to repent when you sin. Repent when you sin. If you're going to stay on this path, then you have to know that you are nothing more than a sinner. You are nothing more than a sinner. The Prophet ﷺ said, All of the children of Adam are sinners. And the best of those who sin are those who repent. Make tawbah, make repentance a part of your daily regimen. Make repentance part of your daily regimen. Every day, find yourself by yourself making tawbah. The Prophet ﷺ used to say, Astaghfirullah, a hundred times a day. Aisha said between 70 to 100 times. Make Toba, make it a part of your daily regimen. No, sh nobody should have to tell you make make Toba. Make Toba to Allah. Now you don't have to tell me that. That's part of my daily regimen. Whether I feel like I'm a sinner or not. But if you're going to tread this path, this Surat al-Mustaqim, this straight path, then you have to know that you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. So Toba has to be a part of your daily regimen. That's number 10. Number 11, tawadur. Number 11, tawadur. What is tawadur? Humility. You have to learn how to humble yourself. You have to learn how to humble yourself. If you're going to be on this sirat al-mustaqeem, wallahi, I, I don't, I, man, I can, I can speak all day about this. If you're going to stay on this straight path, the sirat al-mustaqeem, then you have to know, uh, please don't post any GoFundMe links do not do that. This lecture is not about, uh, you know, anybody promoting any of their GoFundMe. If you post another link, I am going to block you. Understand? I'm trying to be nice. But please do not come on my plate. Okay. Please donate to our GoFundMe. Please do not come on my page promoting, you know, your GoFundMe page. This is not, this is not what that's about. You don't get to come on somebody else. Ask me. Send me a message. Send me send me a message. Send me a DM. Hey, do you mind if I post? But don't just pop on my you know pop on my live and promoting your GoFundMe. I'm sorry, you're gonna get blocked. All right. Tawadur, humility, humbling yourself. If you are going to tread this path, this Surat al-Mustaqim, then you have to know that Shaitan's job is sometimes to make you go to the left or to the right, just as long as you don't make, hit your target. And in order for you to hit your target, part of you hitting your target is you learning how to do so with humility. 
You learning how to do so with humility. Shaitan is going to make you believe that you are larger than life. The Prophet ﷺ entered into Mecca when he conquered Mecca. He had the whole of Mecca in his hands. Went to Mecca with over 10,000 of the Sahaba. The people of Mecca were shook. They were scared to death. And the Prophet ﷺ enters into Mecca, not with his chest poked out, not waving his sword, not saying, Allahu Akbar, I'm now on top because of all of the things that y'all did to me before. No, he walked, he rode into Mecca, right, with his head lowered like this. He hated that he had to do that. He hated that he had to do that. He hated that he had to do that. And subhanAllah, uh, I think his name was um, Abu Uthman, who was the gatekeeper of the Kaaba. When the Prophet وسلم, knocked down all of the idols down the Kaaba, he had the keys to the Kaaba in his hand. And he turned to um, you know, the, the guy who Abu Uthman, who was the uh, owner of the Kaaba, owner of the keys of the Kaaba. And he turned to him and he said, What do you think I'm gonna do with these keys? And he told the man, here, you are the rightful owner of these keys of the Kaaba. He said, take them and anybody who ever removes these keys from your hands is an oppressor in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu didn't want the keys. He didn't want the keys to the Kaaba. He didn't want to take the man's place. Because when you're on top, that's not for you to exercise the, you know, the fist, the iron fist. That's for you to recognize you know, the position that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you, it should make you uncomfortable and you should exercise every bit of mercy, compassion, understanding, because you now have the power. You are now in a powerful position. SubhanAllah, man, to understand that tawadur, humility, is a key component to us reaching our destination as Muslims. Very important. That's number 11. Number 12 is to always live in between fear and hope. To live your life as a Muslim between fear and hope. That's the balance that you need in your life. If you are going to tread this path and you are going to reach your destination as a Muslim, then you have to learn how to live your life between fear and hope. Fear and hope, living in between those two extremes keep you in the middle. That's what keeps you on the middle path. As Allah says that we have made you an ummah that takes the middle course. We are a middle course balanced ummah. Middle course balanced ummah. And the only way that you can maintain that balance as you are treading this path is that you have to live in between the two extremes of fear and hope. Fear and hope, that's going to keep you right there in the middle. Fear that you're not doing enough and hope that whatever you offer, inshallah, Allah will accept that from you. You understand? That's your fear and your hope. Naam, your wasatiya. That middle course, that middle path. A tawassut. That's the way you reach your destination. The Prophet told uh, um, one of his companions, Hamdala, he said, Hamdala said, oh Messenger of Allah, I feel like a hypocrite. The Prophet ﷺ said to Hanbala, why do you feel like a hypocrite? 
He said, because when we're with you, you remind us of paradise. And then when we leave out of your presence, we go home to our families, our wives and our children, and we forget so much. And I, I feel like a hypocrite. I feel like there's an imbalance in my life. I can't maintain the same level of faith all the time. I'm a hypocrite. And the prophet, and Shaitan will have you believing that. Shaitan will have you believing that on your bad days, you're not a Muslim. And on your good days, you are too good to be a Muslim. You understand? Shaitan will have you out there, man. Shaitan will have you believing on your bad days that you're not Muslim enough. And on your good days, you're too Muslim. You're too Muslim to be Muslim. The Muslim community is lucky to have you. Allah is lucky that you worship him, right? That's on your good day. Shaitan will have you believing you're too good to be a Muslim. And on your bad days, he'll have you believing that you're not Muslim enough. But you have to learn how to find that balance. The Prophet Wasallam said to Hamdullah, he said, Ya Hamdullah, that if you could remain all the time like you are when you're with me, the angels, the angels will come down and shake your hands. It's humanly impossible to maintain the same level of faith, the same level of Iman every single day. Humanly impossible. He said, He said, there's a time for this, there's a time for that. That's balance. There's a time for this, there's a time for that. There's a time for enjoyment and leisure and pleasure. And there's a time, you know, to buckle down and get serious about your religion. And as we're moving close to Ramadan, this is the time to buckle down. This is not the time to say, you know, well, yeah, Ramadan is coming around, but you, you still, you know, as one of the scholars, he said, don't let the days that you fast resemble the days that you don't fast. Meaning in Ramadan, when you're fasting, you should not look like you look when you're not fasting. Meaning your behavior should be different. Your walk should be different. Your talk should be different. Your thinking should be different. Your salat should be different. Your sadaqah should be different. Everything about you should be different when you're fasting in contrast to the time when you're not fasting. When you're fasting, you turn on. You understand? And you don't stop until the day of the Eid. When they announce Eid is tomorrow, that's when it's over. And even then, you continue on. You continue on with all of the jewels that you've gained in Ramadan, the patience you've learned in Ramadan, the discipline that you've learned in Ramadan, the, 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 the self-improvement that you've learned in Ramadan, the value for self-improvement that you've learned in Ramadan, all of those gifts that Ramadan gives you when it's over, you get to keep those. That's a sadaqah that, that Ramadan leaves you with. Ramadan leaves you with a charity, with a sadaqah. All of your patience, all of your discipline, all the lowering your gaze, all the lessening your food intake, all of that Ramadan leaves you with it. Bismillah, that's yours. You keep that. No, it takes seven days to create a habit, 21 days to create a lifestyle. Seven days for a habit. 21 days to create a lifestyle. You can do it. You can do it, but everything about you should be different. The days that you fast should not look like the days when you don't fast. That means that your talk, your walk, your speech, your thoughts, your salat, your charity, everything looks different in Ramadan. People should see you and say, there's something different about you. It's Ramadan. I turned up in Ramadan. I'm different in Ramadan. You understand? 
I'm different. I'm different in Ramadan. Don't make the day that you fast and the day that you don't fast resemble each other. Subhanallah. Live between fear and hope. If you are diabetic and you take insulin and you have a few other medications, then you are exempt. You are exempt. Take the rukhsa, take the exemption, take the uh, allowance that Islam gives you. God is merciful. God would not task you with fasting, considering that you are diabetic and you take medications. Other, relax. You compensate for not fasting. Uh, you expiate for not fasting by feeding homeless people or feeding the poor. Would you say it's beneficial if I start reading from the Quran now? You should read the, the reading the Quran should be a part of your daily regimen anyway. Reading the Quran should be a part of your daily regimen now. You say, should I start reading the Quran now? You should read the Quran every day. There's people I know right here in Delaware. I know scholars who complete the Quran two or three times in 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 the month of Ramadan. It's doable. It's doable, but you should be reading the Quran every day anyway. You should have your section of the Quran, your portion of the Quran, whether it's a page or two or three, you should have your daily section that you read from the Quran. So living between fear and hope. And my last one here, uh, this will be, uh, I believe, number 13, law number thir or lesson number 13, and that is stick to what is easy. If you are going to tread this path and you're going to stay on the Sirat al-Mustaqim, you're going to remain Muslim, then stick to what is easy for you. Stick to what is easy. And I'll elaborate on that, inshallah ta'ala, the next time we talk, maybe Wednesday, inshallah ta'ala. Uh, I'll try to um, finish these points, ta'ala. but that's a very important one. And I think a lot of people miss the mark with that. Jazakumullah khayran. It's now time for Maghrib. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you all. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا وآخر دعوانا أن الحمد لله رب العالمين. These lectures will be uploaded to my YouTube channel inshallah ta'ala. So if you want to listen to it again, you can listen to it on my YouTube uh, page as well as on our podcast, The Maradiyah Show. I'll post all of the links on my Facebook page inshallah. جزاكم الله خيرا والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. Where they at?